empathy is like is like putting your your feelings in somebody else's feelings. If they find out that you're being nice to them too, they'll they'll spread it around the whole world, and the world will be full of empathy, and nobody will be fighting or bullying or 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 fat or struggling with anything like they'll be they'll be at peace so be happy for me the word empathy means and you put yourself in somebody else's shoes like if a person's having a problem you can help them because you know how they're feeling my friend she was having some conflicts and i was trying to see her point of view like maybe i have gone through it or i know how it feels or not i just trying to get into their shoes the best way I can. I will sit next to him and say, why are you, uh, why are you sad? And if they say yes, I will help him out and make him feel happy. If everybody can understand everybody else's feelings, everybody will be friends. Everybody in school will be friends. If somebody's struggling with something, you want them to keep on moving forward. You don't want them to stay in the same place. Empathy, E-M-P-A-T-H-Y. E-M-P-A-T-H-Y. Oh, E-M-P. A-T-H-Y. Empathy is very important. Without it, there's no, there's no kindness or there's no feelings or there's no, there's no goodness in it. There's nothing. From the mouth of babes, amen? You know, it's interesting after we played that, um, children can teach us so much in their humility and their hearts and their honesty and and in the, set, in the first service this morning, to drive that point, um, I was speaking to a very big point to adults, and I hit it late in the sermon, and I expected one amen and got nothing. And this toddler over here shouts out, come on, everybody. The hearts of our kids sometimes got to listen, shouldn't we? And I think it's important we listen to this message today. What our world needs is empathy. E-M-P-A-T-H-Y, empathy. So welcome everybody, we are in our five week sermon series, week two on Be The New, and that's what we're going to talk about today is empathy. To our guests, we're glad you're here, I see several new faces, to those online, um, we're glad you're with us too. We look forward, especially today when we're all linked up together again, but for those who are online with us, we're glad you're hanging with us, um, and also to our guests online, we're glad you're here with us too. Uh, for those who are online and those who are here that are new, there are these sermon notes here, we're going to talk about this empathy thing, and so you can outline what we're talking about here, and for those of you online, that is also connected there on Facebook Live or on our website. And so let's jump into that. What, but before we, this Be the New series is uh, taking advantage of the new year about cultivating new spiritual habits. We're not going to wait, church, for the world to change. We are going to be the change. And that's a big difference. The world's waiting. As a matter of fact, a lot of the world has already given up on 2021 after this week. Amen? We aren't. We're just getting started. So week one, we talked about what's really important in being the new is this one element of our lives is so critical, and that's humility. And so we talked last week about pride. Pride is the root of all sin and all struggle. And we said, but humility is the root of all that is good. And then God gave us an object lesson of what pride does through our nation. Amen? We saw that throughout the whole week. That is a result of pride. But we got to start humility. And so go back and check out that message if you missed it, because it sets a stage that everything else we're going to talk about does not work if we cannot approach this humbly. But humility sets a stage for the next spiritual habit, and that is empathy that we're going to talk about today. 
I used a word last week to describe Western culture, and that word was hyper-individualistic. My word, Microsoft Word doesn't even recognize it, but hyper-individualistic uh, was the way I described it. What that means is that the number one issue in our nation today in our world is self-interest, and it permeates very strongly in our Western culture. And there's a lot of finger-pointing going on. Why is there so much self-interest? Why are we so focused on ourselves? Why are we so narcissistic? And the generations are pointing back at each other saying it started here and it started here. But let me tell you where it started, and it started long before anybody in this room was ever even born I want to take you back to the 17 and 1800s to a period called the enlightenment or the age of reason that began all this and there's three culprits I want to pick on three people I'm going to point out names here and actually books they wrote that set a course they're still studied in philosophy today as a center thought and the first one was Adam Smith, no relation to Brian Smith, but in 1776, he wrote the book Wealth of Nations. And what he did is he said, when it comes to self-interest, if we have self-interest and think of ourselves first, it has great economic and political gain. And that book was widely read and believed. And then we got a name you might recognize, Charles Darwin in 1859 wrote The Origin of Species. And if you look at the center thought of what Darwin wrote, is this term homo self-centricus, self-interest. He wrote that competition, if you look at his global thought, competition, not cooperation, drives the human spirit. And then he coined this phrase that you still hear today, survival of the fittest. Strong self-interest statement. And then we got Sigmund Freud in 1930. He stripped away any romantic notion we had about human nature. And he says, all that drives us is self-interest, sex, and aggression. And we bought it, and we read it, and we think about it still today, that that is a philosophy of human nature. So, let me paint the picture. For 300 years, we have been told and taught that self-interest defines who we are. So it's all around us. And here's your first sermon note together. A culture of self-interest has created hearts of apathy. When you have self-focus and self-interest, it creates hearts that don't go out, they focus in, and that's apathy. Apathy means we just don't feel about something. We're, we're callous, we're disinterested, and we're passive. That is a normal nature. We, today, it's no big thing. This, this was a shocking story in the 1970s when you could walk by somebody who was stabbed on the street. It was national news, and 38 people, I think the number was, walked by without doing one thing in New York, and it was painting that picture of apathy. But today, we look at somebody crying, and I just, I don't want to get interested, so I, I don't want to get involved, and so I walk around. We see a picture that just stuns me, the picture of a child, an immigrant child, who drowned in a boat crossing the Mediterranean, washes up on the shore, and the world sees it, and the world moves on. Because why? We're so inundated every day in social media news of pain and suffering that apathy, I get it. It's like, how can I make a difference? in this world. But not only does self-interest create apathy, it creates anger. It makes it so easy to rage at the world. I can sit in my own little, in my own little life and I can rage about a nation. And that's what's going on this week because we're raging about a nation. But apathy is having us do nothing and wait for the world to change. We are not waiting for the world to change. 
So self-interest, apathy, and anger has created this mile-deep chasm and mile-wide gap between God and man and man and man. And it's destroying our nation. I get that. And what I notice is, yeah, the world already wants to give up. Nine days in, they want to give up on 2021. But ladies and gentlemen, like I said, we are just getting started. So we're going to go to God's word, which paints something completely encouraging, but something completely different and completely challenging to all of us. Let's go to the key scripture today, Romans chapter 12, verse 14. This paints a picture of how we are to be. And it pushes way back against self-interest, apathy, and anger. All right, let's jump in this together. This is our key scripture today. It says, bless those who persecute you. What a start, right? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Actually pray, pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable, see you're different. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone, all that you can to be in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. And all we want to. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, get ready for this. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Quite the countercultural expression, isn't it? You know what you see about this whole thing, about this whole scripture verse out of Romans? You notice something in here that everything it's asking us to do, there is no gap. It's asking you to step across that gap. It's asking you to bridge over to somebody and bless those who persecute you. To be happy, enter into the lives of those who are happy and be happy with them. Weep with those who are weep. Those who are weeping. It says, don't be angry, don't take revenge. Your enemies, build a bridge to them. Feed them. Give them something to drink. And you might love that next part. Oh, I can do that because I get to shovel heaping coals on top of their head. No, let God do that. He works through the shame of being loved when I'm being a dirt bag, Right? Bridge the gap. Immerse ourselves in the lives of others, and that is a definition of empathy. So let's look at that next note together. Empathy, here's an easy way we can define it, is walking a mile in another's shoes. It's walking five miles in another's shoes. It's walking 10 miles, whatever that is. Empathy is building a bridge across the gap created by apathy, self-interest, and anger. And we walk across that bridge. We immerse ourselves in the life of another. And then we walk a mile in their shoes. And what does it mean to walk a mile in somebody's shoes? 
when it's so much easier to sit on the other side of the bridge and just yell, right? To walk a mile in her shoes means I really see them. I know what their face is. I know their name. I understand what they believe. Whether I agree with them or not, I listen to how they feel. I know their story, and I connect to what they need. I can do that with those who are happy, those who weep. And ladies and gentlemen, we can do that with our enemies. Now, let me further define empathy a little bit. Sometimes empathy gets confused with sympathy and compassion. While there's a subset that's maybe similar, they're very different, and I, help it, I think it really helps show what empathy is. So sympathy, sympathy is, is usually, it, it's where somebody's going through a, a bad situation, and I emotionally connect to that, right? It's like, man, I feel bad for them, so what do I do? I send a sympathy card, or I do something to express that, but I, I connect with them at least emotionally. But that's it, there's no more connectedness normally than that. Compassion has not only the emotional connection, it has a physical connection. Like I see them having a tough day, so I go over and take a plate of food. Or I see somebody sick and I go over and mow their yard. Something like that. Compassion to help and help maybe take away what they're going through. But empathy is different. Empathy is immersing myself into, and this can be good or bad, into their life. Understanding them sharing their joy, sharing their pain, but experiencing their life and connecting with them. Empathy is constructed in every one of us. Now, let me give you the scientific response here. No more have we seen empathy. Empathy is a fairly new word, like just in the last century or so that we've discovered this way to coin a phrase or a word that, that says what this is. But neuroscience in the last 30 years with the MRI, they can sit there and watch the brain. And when I experience pain, there's these things called mirror neurons in my brain that automatically respond. They just light up on an MRI when I'm experiencing pain. But what they discovered in the last 30 years is when I see somebody else in pain, those same mirror neurons fire up. And now they found like there's 10 regions of the brain that these mirror neurons connect to give us an empathic response. We're geared, we're designed that way. But like anything in our mind, the mind is plastic. If I use it, it grows. And those pathways grow, the neurons grow. If I don't use it, it shrinks. Our children understand empathy. That's why we put that video really well. It's ingrained in them. But then culture gets a hold of us, and apathy gets a hold of us, and we start not having as many mirror neurons. But that's the good news is the mind is plastic, is the word they use, is plastinated. We can re, uh, re our, our, our uh, ability in a, in a sensory motor system is it can go anywhere and grow in any type. You can sit there and say, I'm 60 years old and my empathy meter went away long ago. And I'm telling you, no, 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 it can grow right back. What we have to do is we have to take a conscious effort to focus on others. And when we make that a pattern, we will plastinate, we will remap and grow that what we've lost. Now, you're saying, wow, that's science. Well, no, God is a God of science. He made us that way. God designed not only for our minds to be empathic, so is our hearts. It's a spiritual issue. God is the God of empathy. 
And he gives us his Holy Spirit to sit there and tap on our shoulders saying, dude, care. Make a difference. Enter in our lives. And that Holy Spirit will push that remapping of our minds. So how, how do I, how can I walk with empathy? How, how do we do this? How do we get into somebody else's shoes? We need a good example. And it's your next sermon note. God walked in our shoes through Jesus. God is a God of empathy. He's an emotive. He, some people hold God way up there. God is up there. He's transcendent, but he's imminent. He's so close to us and so personal and the Spirit's in us. It said God has joy. The Bible just bursts with God has joy and he loves and he's jealous and he's funny. He laughs. has all these things that talks about God's character. It shows he's emotive. But empathy is what God has been doing throughout the Bible is meeting us in our mess and bringing us back, but no more evident than in the life of Jesus. And we celebrate this over Christmas. It's the greatest example of God's empathy is through his son, Jesus. Let's go to John chapter one, verse 14. It says, so the word Jesus, it's another name, the word, so you can substitute those two, the word Jesus became human and made his home, where? Across the street? No, among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God's empathy came to earth in Jesus. He saw the gaps. He saw the mile wide and the mile deep between God and man and man and man and he came and built a bridge. And when he built that bridge, he walked right into all the lives of humanity. You know, in Jesus, three years, in the Gospels, it records three years of his public ministry. He, it says here, Jesus says, foxes have dens, right? I don't have a bed. Because why? Because he stayed immersed. He stayed mobile the whole time throughout Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, meeting people where they're at. He took 12 guys with him and said, this is how we do the Christian life is we immerse ourselves in other people's lives that none of them had a home for three years. They met people right where they were. And there's all these great stories throughout the New Testament, just in some of them that shows the empathy of God through Jesus. There's a parable of the Good Samaritan, which is an amazing story of all the people that had apathy and walked by. But the least person they expected stopped and had empathy and immersed himself. The prodigal son, you see a, an empathic father and how far he'll go. And he'll be, you also have an apathetic brother. You see it so strongly there. You got the rich young ruler whose Jesus' heart just goes out to you. You can see the empathy. But one of the most powerful stories, one of the most powerful stories in the New Testament about Jesus and empathy is found in the Gospel of John chapter four. As a matter of fact, it takes up 40 some verses of this chapter. It's a story of the woman at the well. And some of you are gonna go, wow, yeah, I know that story. And some of you are like, well, I haven't heard this one you see Jesus' empathy like no other story. And I'd read it to you, but I don't think it's going to do it any justice. I want you to watch it. This is from the movie series, The Chosen. Now, here's the story. Jesus goes into Samaria. Now, if you remember the story, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There are tribals. As a matter of fact, Jesus, most good Jews would walk around Samaria, never go through it. Jesus not only goes into the heart of Samaria, he goes to a well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, where nobody's there because he knows this woman will be there. Watch this story.
Give me a drink. That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out now, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. You feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. 
picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? <laughs> I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. you know these things because you are the Christ I'm going to tell everyone I was counting on it <laughs> spirit and truth spirit and truth it won't be all about mountains or temples soon just the heart <laughs> you promise I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> <laughs> that is empathy. Jesus immersed himself in the woman's life. He listened to her story. He knew her name. He did call out her sin because he knew how much it was hurting her. And in empathy, he offered something much different to her. He offered her living water. It so changed her. There at the end of that clip, you see her running to her village. Now the clip ended there. The Gospel of John did not. She runs into the village and tells everybody, who she has seen, who she's met. And the whole village comes out to see Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He immerses himself into the village for two days. And John concludes the story by saying, and many more took the living water. Many more believed. So what does the story have to do with us? Jesus has called us all to empathy. And I know this because of the commandment he gave us in John 15, 12. These are the very words of Jesus. This is my commandment, not my suggestion, not my, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. Don't just love each other, Jesus is saying. Love the way he loves immersed deeply with empathy. A love that courageously crosses any gap and enters into somebody else's life. So our next note together, we are called to walk in another's shoes using Jesus' shoes. We are called to walk in the lives of others, but I, I want to be careful of my shoes. My shoes, I will tell you, they probably have some issues with apathy, self-interest, and anger. My shoes normally won't take me there. But if I use the example in the shoes of Christ, if we do that and cross a gap, build a bridge, we will see other people's face. We will know their names. 
we will understand what they believe. It doesn't matter if we agree. It's important we understand why they believe, why they feel, and what they need. And then we connect our lives with theirs. And it's at that place that we can offer living water. What is living water? It's a neat term to explain the love, the freedom, the forgiveness, and the eternal life that comes from believing in Jesus. That is living water. So I, I still think we're not there. I still don't think we've fully explained this. What are some practical steps that we could do to really show empathy? I mean, how do I do this? I, I, I can go out and pretend it, but how do I really be empathetic in my life? How do we walk in Jesus' shoes to understand somebody else's shoes so we can walk in those? How can I remap my mind to tap into those mirror neurons and be more empathetic. Here's a list. Here's some things. Guys, this isn't rocket science. But this is how every one of us in this room can do this. First, empathy guides us to love our neighbor. This is not our natural tendency. The great commandments love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a commandment. So the first step is be obedient to what Jesus has told us. Love our neighbor. It has to start there, and it starts with humility. God first, people second, me third. And once we commit to that obedience, the next thing is be bold, be curious, be adventurous. That's the first two words of our vision, be bold. It takes boldness to be a Christian. Now, some people say, I don't know, Brian, this world, after watching this garbage this week, this world doesn't need something soft like empathy I will tell you there is nothing soft or easy about empathy actually it is hard you know what's easy to be self-interested apathetic and angry that's easy to really love like Christ is hard it is it comes at a cost guys but this cost as you saw in her life is so worth it Be bold, curious, adventurous. The next, build bridges. Once, once, we know, once we're committed to be obedient and we're bold and curious and adventurous, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna build a bridge. Don't make people come to us. Jesus met everybody where they were. Whether that's a cubicle at your office, whether it's down the block, whether it's driving to another state, make a bridge. When you cross that bridge, when we cross that bridge, you are bringing them into the church community because you are the church. And one day they will cross that bridge and come into a community like this. Love our neighbors, be bold, build bridges. This one's really key to being empathetic and that is empty our minds. Empty our minds. If we're gonna love the broken, the lost, and even our enemies, we have to empty our minds. That means get rid of any preconception that we have about somebody. We are so good at seeing somebody we are different than us or we don't like, and we automatically have a whole list of things we think about them without ever knowing them. Clear your minds. 
No preconceived notions until you get to know them. And emptying our minds is hard. Next, we empty our minds, we cross that bridge, we have a conversation. We talk, but it starts with radical listening. When you cross that bridge, be a great listener first. Don't be a big talker. Hear their story, hear what they believe, hear what they need. And this next one's even tougher for us. Take off your mask. And I'm not talking about the city ordinance one you're wearing. <laughs> I'm talking about being vulnerable. I'm talking about if you're genuine with them, if you show them a Christian is, does not mean I got it all together. As a matter of fact, in empathy, I was where you were, and I understand. If we're vulnerable, they'll be vulnerable. And the last, when we've done all those things, love, cross, bold, empty, conversations, vulnerable, we offer living water. I see this all the time with a lot of friends I have. They're so spiritually thirsty. They're looking in all the wrong places for what makes them happy in life, and they struggle all the time. And I had three friends this week. I see, you know, this was going on in the world. I had a great week because I saw three friends make a step towards Christ. They're not there yet, but they're making those steps. And I keep telling them about this living water. It's not mine. But they're so parched. And you don't have to be thirsty anymore. I can guarantee you that when you take this empathic journey and you cross a bridge, that God will do a work in everybody you meet, even though you may not see it. And trust me, he will do a work in you. Every time we're bold and we are vulnerable and we cross the line and it's hard and we meet people like Jesus met her in the toughest place, you saw the pushback and you saw the love. It works. But not only will God change that person and continue to work on them when even when I'm not there and you're not there, it will change us. And let me tell you how big it can change us because the work of the Holy Spirit in all of us, let me just show you how big this can get. And it's your next sermon note. When we truly know somebody, when we really cross that bridge and enter into their lives, our hearts can expand not only to them, but to their family, to a whole race, and to a nation. God can take your heart and expand it to so big that not only do I understand them, I may understand a whole race. I may understand a whole family. I may understand a whole nation and my heart grows for them. When our hearts are expanded like that, when they open like that, apathy, anger, and that garbage dissolves and our mirror neurons expand and our heart grows and love, truth, and grace take over. So we have a choice today. Those in here, those online, we have a choice. We can be like the world. We can stay home, self-interested, apathetic, and angry. Or we can be the new. 
We can be the change the world needs instead of waiting on the world to change. Love with empathy. You know, we're gonna roughly have three, 400 people online in person today. If we all go out and do this this week with just one person and create a bridge and God lets us love like that and we enter into somebody's life and they learn to love like that and they go out and they love like that, what's that called? A revolution. And the world is crying out for a revolution right now. I've seen the revolution here over the last few weeks. I think we've been through our hardest three months of the church since about November, October. But I've seen empathy when we've had families lose loved ones like we have over the last two months. I've watched people in this church go to their home and put up Christmas lights and immerse in their lives and be there to bring them some hope in the midst of the grieving. I've seen families take food and listen, just listen to the heart and the grieving. I've seen all these folks who are online, who we love, who we miss, who are at, these, the ones who are at risk and just we'll get back together. I watched six teams of people go out with carols to their house because we haven't seen them since March. Empathy took the first step. I sat with two guys in this congregation who sat putting together the porch of a family that I can't even describe the darkness that they're going through and they sat and they listened to their story. And I watched their hearts change. Empathy, we had this really cool angel tree with a lot of Ornaments that are reaching out into families that we don't even know who weren't having a Christmas and we evacuated that tree of every ornament and we sent out the true spirit of Christmas of just connecting with people, creating a bridge through presents for they couldn't even provide Christmas for their kids and this is a response we got this week. I get my heart raised. I melted down last time so hang with me. <laughs> I think as I get more silver I get softer. So I just wanted to thank you so very much for helping make this Christmas an amazing one for me and the children this year. We are so very happy and appreciate to everyone that put thought and love into our family. Hear those three words? Into our family. I can't thank you enough. It's a church that we want to be. A revolution. Your last sermon note, be the new. An empathic revolution. The largest cry we heard this week is for change. Don't wait for it, be it. And this is when the little girl shouted out. As a church, let's be the change and new revelation, or new revolution. It's a new revelation, too. I did that twice. It's spelled E M P A T H. Amen? Amen. Amen. Before we jump into offering, because I'm going to ask us all to think of a person that we can start with this week if we're not already engaged with somebody in that type of relationship. I want to remind you, uh, one thing on here is that you want to talk about empathy. 
Uh, our adult small groups, we're going to launch here. I, I know we're running a little slow on this information, but in COVID, it's just hard to gather instructors and everything. But by the middle of this week, you'll see the list of all the small groups, our life groups in this church. It's where we gather as a church all week long, and in empathy, we grow together, we understand each other's life together, and we prepare ourselves to change the world together. It's so critical that we're all involved in life groups during the week, changing each other. Those are coming and launching out. I just wanted you to be aware of that. And would you bow your heads? Let's go to God. And let's give him a tremendous offering today that will change the world, but only through him and his power. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word, but thank you for your son. What an amazing example to all of us. Thank you for the chosen that we can see artistically the depth and love of you through your son, Jesus. But we're not watching a movie today. We're gonna go out and change the world. And so, Father, I'm asking as an offering today, we have our gifts, our financial gifts we give to keep the mission of this church going. We have, we have our, our, the ways we serve the body of Christ here, and all those are critically important, but they all are for one reason, that we will build a bridge and meet people and share living water. That is the mission of everybody in this church. So Father, I ask today, right now, that if we don't have one who we've built a bridge with and we've entered into their lives and we just got to see them, see their face, know their life, know why they hurt and offer them something different. Father, bring that person to mind in every soul in this room because a revolution is happening. We just want everybody involved in the fight. Let's take one second, think of one person that I can build a bridge to this week and write that name down because God put it on your heart, not me. Father, for everybody, the ones here in this room, for those online, inspire us through your Holy Spirit. It's worth every step. Jesus, give us your shoes as we go out these doors. We pray this in, your, in his holy and perfect name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together.